0: Good evening everyone and you're very welcome to our Merfella broadcast on this Tuesday evening of the 27th of July 2021. I'm Robert Wilson one of the leaders here in the Merfella Presbyterian Church later on we can welcome again the Reverend Dr Paul Bailey and we look forward to listening and to learning from his gospel teaching as we listen may we be inspired to seek out God's special message and to apply it to our lives. I would like to take the opportunity to thank Reverend Billy, and all his hard work involved in the bookhouse, and may God bless him through his ministry as I know God will bless us. At this particular time I feel as children of God that we should be getting closer to our saviour in our studies of God's word. Let me share some verses from Psalm 34, verses 1 to 6. I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears those who look to him are radiant their faces are never covered with shame this poor man called and the lord heard him he saved him out of all his troubles let us take time now to pray to our living god dear lord and heavenly father lord we thank you for your holy word lord help us to find peace and to be patient, to listen and to study your gospel. Lord we give thanks for the special gifts you have given to people who can write, sing and play musical instruments which gives us so much pleasure to listen to when we worship you. We give thanks Lord for the opening up of our hearts and when we set time aside to worship you you lord regenerate our fellowship with each other we pray lord that you will come closer to us through these broadcasts, and you will fill our hearts with excitement and joy as we receive your holy grace through your word let our hearts and our attitudes change as we think more of what we can do for others rather than what we can do for ourselves. May we receive a special message through your word and may we act and respond to it. Let us turn off all worldly distractions, forget about housework and gardening and settle ourselves down so that we can relax and rejoice at the sound of your holy name. Help us to focus on Paul's message tonight and fill us with your Holy Spirit and I ask all these things in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ amen our first item of praise tonight will be sovereign over us please free free to join in with this wonderful praise
1: plans are still to prosper you have not forgotten us you're with us in For your glory, even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good, you're working for our good, for your glory. Even what the enemy means for evil, you turn. still to prosper, you've not forgotten us, you're with us in the fire and the flood, faithful forever, perfect in love, you are sovereign.
2: Hello everybody, this is Paul Bailey once again, bringing my fourth and final podcast. And once again, I just want to say a very big thank you to the Reverend Robert Hamilton for permitting me to take part in these podcasts. It really has been a great pleasure and a privilege. Over these podcasts, I've been looking at small but mighty books of the New Testament. So without further ado, I'm going to read the entirety of Jude. So let's hear the word of the living God. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith That was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up to their shim, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved for ever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them for all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness, and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault-finders. They follow their own evil desires, they boast about themselves, And flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh." To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and for evermore. Amen. Well, friends, I have to tell you, maybe I don't move in the right circles But I don't believe I have ever, ever heard a sermon on the book of Jude. Maybe us preachers stay away from it because it's not entirely straightforward. And maybe that's why we seem to restrict ourselves to just borrowing phrases from the book, like contending for the faith that was entrusted to us, or, of course, using that beautiful doxology at the very end of the book. The first question, I suppose, is about authorship and who is Jude. The name Jude is derived from a name that you've heard many, many times before, Judah or Judas. And the name is derived from the tribe of Judah, which was the preeminent tribe of ancient Israel, the tribe that gave rise to King David, and ultimately the tribe that gives rise to the Lord Jesus Christ. The particular Judas or Judah that we're speaking of here in the book of Jude is identified as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Now that's very interesting because that means that this is Judas, the brother of Jesus or the half-brother of Jesus. But rather than emphasizing his blood relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jude here is emphasizing the fact that he is a servant ...of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's the most important thing. And what is the book of Jude about? Well, it addresses the ever thorny issue of the presence of false teachers imperiling the church. And in fact, Jude here says, I had really intended to write a much bigger book uh, about the whole gospel. But actually, this issue of false teaching in the church is now so pressing that I had to divert myself away from writing about the broader issues of the gospel, and I need to write this letter urgently about this real crisis that has emerged of false teaching. So, who are these people, and what are they up to? In our studies on 2nd and 3rd John, we saw that there were those who threatened the church from outside, there are those who threatened the church from inside, and John was urging people to be discerning about false teachers. Clearly, Jude is having to say the same thing to the church to which he is writing. He says that these false teachers have secretly infiltrated the church. The point is that these people are very deceptive. They are able to pull the wool over the eyes of the believers. But Jude is saying to his listeners, look, you can actually identify these false teachers in either one or two ways. The thing that is most obvious, the thing that is most blatant, is that they are immoral in their activities. And what they're doing seems to be that they are excusing their immoral activity by saying that their sins have been covered over by the grace of God one finds a not dissimilar issue being addressed by the Apostle Paul in Romans, where he says, Do we say that sin should abound in order that grace may abound? Absolutely not. But the thing is, right from the outset of the existence of the Church, right up until the present day, there are those who abuse their liberty in Christ and their forgiveness in Christ to openly and shamelessly sin. And this is, absolutely negates the gospel. The true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ leads us to turn our back upon sin and to repudiate sin and instead to embrace a life of holiness in obedience to the commands of Jesus. What it does not do is give us a license to behave in whatever immoral way we want. Different New Testament scholars have suggested different possibilities as to what Jude is referring to here. Some of them think that he is speaking of sexual immorality amongst these false teachers. Others think that he is speaking of theft and extortion and manipulation of the church. But it doesn't really matter that we can't pin down precisely what they were up to. That's actually neither here nor there. The point is that through their immoral actions, they are denying the gospel of Jesus Christ. In any event, Jude has now set out the problem that is facing the church, false teaching. And what he is saying is that good Christians have to contend against this false teaching. They have to contend for the faith as it was first delivered to them. Now, in a few verses, he's going to give us some practical advice about how to contend against these false teachers. But before he does that, he goes off into a lengthy middle section that sometimes confuses readers. So let's try and unpack it a little bit. And what we see in this central section is that Jude presumes that his readers are very familiar with the Old Testament and other Jewish writings. And what he's going to do here now is to give us a very rapid fire set of examples taken from the history of Israel of those who have rebelled against God and those who have corrupted others. And obviously, the point that he is making is that these people are under the condemnation and judgment of God. They may think that they are somehow given a free pass to sin but in fact their judgment and their condemnation is assured so what does he look at as i say in very rapid order he brings our minds back to for example the rebellion in the wilderness recorded for us in numbers 14. he makes us think of rebellious angels taken from genesis 6. He also makes us think of the rebellious and sinful city of Sodom, mentioned in Genesis 19. He reminds us of Cain, that first murderer who subsequently went on to found a dynasty that was steeped in violence and corruption, and indeed they built cities noted for their corruption. He then reminds us of Balaam, who you find in Numbers 22 and 31, the man who lured Israel into self-destructive idolatry. And then he returns again to Numbers to remind us of Korah. And if you don't remember who Korah is, he was a corrupt priest who led another rebellion against God in Numbers 16. And it is very clear indeed that Jude strongly condemns these people. He likens them to bad shepherds. And that's an image which is taken from much of Jeremiah and also Ezekiel. He likens them to useless clouds that have no rain. You find that image in the book of Proverbs. And he also likens them to chaotic waves that are just really symbols of evil that you find in Isaiah 57. It's actually one of the most remarkable short sections of the entire Old and New Testament scriptures just for its density of Other biblical images being brought into play to explain a point. And in addition to strengthen his point, Jude unusually brings into play here some illustrations from popular Jewish literature of his time. So for example in verse 9 he gives us the picture of the archangel disputing with Satan over the body of Moses. Now, you will look in vain for that in the Old Testament scriptures, and you might think, where on earth does this come from? Unfortunately, we don't have time to delve into this in any detail or depth, but he quotes here from a couple of popular Jewish books, First Enoch and the Testament of Moses. It's not that he's endorsing those books as scripture, that would be nonsense, but he is certainly using these popular books to illustrate the point that he wishes to make. That the people that are in his sights, these false teachers, are entirely beyond the pale. They are rebels condemned of God. And it's against these people that the church of God must contend. And then that leads us to his last section. And it's here in the last section that he gives us practical advice about how to contend against these false teachers. If you have your Bible there, just cast your eye over verses 17 and following. The first thing that Jude says to us here is something that he has mentioned already in this epistle, and that is that the church has been long warned against the reality of false teaching. The Lord Jesus Christ said that there would be false teachers coming. Go and look at Matthew 17. The same idea is expressed by the Apostle Paul and Peter and, of course, the Apostle John, as we've seen in our previous studies. And the point I think that he is making here is that Christians have to be on their guard. They've been given scriptural warnings by Christ and his apostles to watch out for these false teachers. But because these false teachers are deceptive, because they are plausible, because they seem progressive and sophisticated, they are able to worm their way into the church and cause great spiritual havoc. It's much easier for us in so many ways just to imagine that such people don't exist. And we can be very quick to say to ourselves, we must not judge others, but for the grace of God, go we. We should not be the one to cast the first stone. It is certainly true to say that we should not be judging others without evidence, that we should not be judging others without firm theological grounds so to do. And it is certainly true to say that in our dealings with all other people, that we should be marked out by the grace and mercy that has been extended to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. But that all said, it is that same Lord Jesus Christ who has warned us to be on our guard against false teachers. It is Christ and his apostles who have told us that we need to make sure that we are not deceived by these people. So this is where perhaps we are called upon to be, on the one hand, as gentle as doves, but also as wise as serpents. So whilst maintaining our Christian gentleness, At the same time, we have to be careful not to live in a fool's paradise where we do not recognize lies for what they are. Jude then goes on to give us further instruction about how to contend for the faith. In verse 20, he commends two things to us, holiness and prayer. I hope I don't need to speak at any length here about the importance of prayer in the life of a Christian. But let me say this, when we are discerning truth from error, whenever we are discerning sound doctrine from false doctrine, we need wisdom to do that. Where does that wisdom come from? Well, on the one hand, it will come from being thoroughly conversant with the scriptures so that we know what God's word teaches. We've looked at that in previous weeks of these studies but the other place where wisdom is to be found is through prayer. The Apostle James reminds us that if we lack wisdom, if we pray for it, if we seek enlightenment by the Holy Spirit, then God will grant us the wisdom that we require. He tells us to pray in the Holy Spirit, and this is a reminder to us again that our minds are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can use those minds to the greater glory of Jesus Christ. Obviously, we could say a great deal more about prayer, but in particular, I just want to highlight this element of praying for wisdom in order to discern truth from error in doctrinal matters. The other thing that he mentions here is holiness. And again, this is a very practical approach to discerning the difference between proper Christian behaviour and improper Christian behaviour. If we are comporting our lives, if we are aligning our lives with the teachings of Scripture, and someone comes along and asks us to engage in behaviour which is clearly contrary to what is outlined in Scripture as being agreeable and pleasing to God, well, then we know that person is a false teacher. As I said earlier, some scholars think that the false teachers that Jude was speaking against were sexually immoral. Others think that they were possibly manipulating the church for financial gain. But let's just think of either of those things. If someone comes to you and says, no, behave as you wish in your private life, do whatever you want, It doesn't matter to God how you behave. That person is clearly a false teacher because God has set down how he expects us to behave in our private lives, including our sexual lives. If someone comes along and says, no, look, it's fine for us to manipulate people out of their money. It is fine for us to use the church as a mechanism for getting rich then very obviously that person is a false teacher because they are misusing the church. Instead of being a vehicle for glorifying Christ and edifying his people, they are using the church for their own personal profit and gain. And very simply, we can contend for the faith that was as first given to us by simply refusing to go along with these people and their different and false vision of how Christians should lead their lives. Friends, I have exceeded my time, but I want to say something about verses 22 and 23. Because in many ways it is addressing the issue of what to do with those who have fallen into the clutches of false teaching and have maybe fallen away from authentic Christian faith. And what it says is, be merciful to those Who doubt. Others save by snatching them from the fire. In other words, some people need to be treated with great gentleness and mercy, others need to be rebuked. But as we point out false teaching to others and the the errors that other people have fallen into, the aim is always to restore them to a living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to restore them to the loving fellowship of the church. We've often heard it said, and sometimes this particular maxim is mocked by the world, that we hate the sin and we love the sinner. But look at the last portion of verse 23. There it speaks about showing mercy, but at the same time hating clothes that are stained with corruption. In other words, showing love to the sinner, at the same time hating the sin. And I think this is a good note upon which to end. It is right and proper for us to hate the sin of false teaching. And to tolerate false teaching is a serious sin in itself. But in addition to that, we want to love our neighbour as ourself. And if we truly love our neighbour, we will be pointing them towards the true gospel of Christ. We are committing a serious offense against our neighbor if we allow them to be led astray by false teaching. And we further show love to our neighbor when we mercifully seek to lead them back away from false teaching into the one true gospel. And in addition to loving our neighbor as ourself, we have to love the Lord God with all our minds and all our souls and all our hearts. And we cannot do that through the medium of false teaching. Instead, we love God by obeying his one true word. And so, friends, my thanks for listening to this slightly longer than normal podcast, and I pray that the Lord will bless you as you contend for the faith as it was first given.
3: Stretch from shore to shore, till sunshine.
4: everyone. My name's Margaret Garrett and I'm a member of the congregation here at Movilla. Robert has asked me if I would um, lead us in prayers for others, which I'll do in a moment, Um, but first of all just a quick thought about the praise we've just heard. I really enjoyed that one, Jesus Shall Reign," and I was thinking as I listened to it that most of us have probably tried to spend some time on a beach in the recent sunshine. When I look out to sea always seems endless to me. Uh, the shore at the other side is so far away and the words in this praise just give me a picture of the vastness of our King Jesus' kingdom. There's a lovely praise Jesus shall reign from shore to shore. Just before we begin to pray for others, I'd like to read some verses from Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 to 8. Here Jesus is speaking to his disciples about prayer. And what he says here immediately precedes the model example of prayer that he gave us, which we know is the Lord's Prayer. I'll just read the verses now. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I love in these verses, how in verses 5, 6 and 8, Jesus focuses on who it is we're praying to. Pray to your Father. He tells us that our Father sees everything and also that our Father knows what we need before we ask him. This is a God and Father to whom we will now come in prayer, knowing that he loves us and cares for us tenderly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father, since we are part of your family, through your saving grace in Jesus' sacrifice at the cross. We thank you that you see all things, even those that we would prefer to remain hidden, and you know our hearts. We thank you that you already know our needs, and you are both able and willing to provide us with every good thing. Father, we come to you now to pray for others, knowing that you love and care for every person that you've created. We pray for all who are finding life difficult at the moment. For those who have experienced bereavement in recent days, we ask for your Holy Spirit to bring comfort and that they would be able to fondly remember their loved one and have the hope in Christ of being united with them in your kingdom. We pray for all who are sick, some coping with long-term illness, some who have been suddenly struck down. We pray for strength for them and for the sense of your presence with them as they seek to cope with these problems. Thank you for the skills you have given to doctors, nurses and carers, and for their dedication. Thank you for the knowledge you have given, given to scientists and medical staff to enable treatments to be provided. Thank you, Lord, for all who ensure physical safety in hospitals through rigorous cleaning and infection control. Father, we pray for your healing for each person knowing that your way is perfect and good. We pray also for families of those who are ill, as they also need your help day by day in caring for their loved ones. Help each one to depend on you and to care for themselves also. Father, we would pray for our young people at this time, as they enjoy school holidays. May they stay close to you and find real refreshment and grow in faith. Help them not to be concerned about catching up on time missed at school during recent closures due to COVID. Remove all anxiety about that and about exams recently taken or to come next term. Help them to trust in you to guide them at each step of their lives, knowing that your plan for them is perfect and the very best for them. While we think of those who may have lost jobs or who are concerned for job security, May they know that you are aware of their situation and that you will provide for them as you have promised. Help them to lean anew and be guided to the job or career that is best suited for your plan for their lives. We remember those in government, both local and national. Our prayer is that they would seek your will and govern justly and wisely, making good decisions for all people. We remember those who are suffering from the effects of wars and national disasters. In a broken and hurting world, may your peace reign and may your comfort be shown to all as your people reach out to others through prayer and practical support. Father, we ask you to bless our Minister Robert and continue to equip him in every way for the task that he's been called to. Thank you for his faithfulness to you and for his passion to have others come to faith and grow in faith. Be with his family also and bless them and their life together. Father, we ask for your comfort for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted and have their lives threatened because they belong to you. Please speak into the hearts of those who persecute them, just as you did with Saul of Tarsus. Bring comfort to our fellow believers and may they know that they are being upheld before your throne of grace. Bless the efforts of international organisations that are acting on their behalf and grant them success. Loving Father, it astonishes us that you have such a love for us and interest in us and know all our concerns and needs. We commit all of our prayers to you now in the strong and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. And now let's just finish with the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and for evermore. Amen. God bless everyone.